Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. That was my cue? Yeah, because you, you were ready to jump in a little bit early. And, and that's act, uh, uh, I just gave up. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, I'm here to monitor the situation and, and 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 report back to the proper authorities. And you're an hour uh, into the show and you're already giving up. I gave up on you. Ay 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 ay. Talk about a colossal failure, huh? Mm. <laughs> well, let's see. On our program this morning, um, first of all, we had a guest in studio in the first hour. We always love when that happens because it gets both Mr. Minko and myself fired up. I'm Bob Salter. Long after our 8 o'clock update, Rick Wolf is by with the Sports Edge program. And Ed Randall will be by with his uh, Talking Baseball program after our 9 o'clock update on the fan. We move into a discussion this hour of our program that I think is going to be a very interesting one. We have a good guest who is joining us, and he's kind enough to join us from the West Coast at a very early hour on a Sunday morning. Dr. Michael McGee is joining us. Um, he is the Chief Medical Officer at The Haven at Pismo. He is the author of uh, an Amazon bestseller entitled The Joy of Recovery, The New 12-Step Guide to Recovery from Addiction. And he has um, got an awful lot to share with us in uh, this discussion, too. What we will do in the course of this hour like we did in the last hour, and quite frankly, it, uh, I, I think, enhanced the presentation, is to try to incorporate thoughts from some of the folks listening to us. If you're on point with some of the things that we're talking about with Dr. McGee, you can join us, 877-337-6666. First of all, Dr. McGee, good morning. Welcome to our program. Good morning. Nice to have you join us. It's very good to be here. Thank you for having me. This idea of addiction and recovery from addiction, how do you explain, um, I guess, what's at the heart of that? Because, you know, you've written a book on this topic. What, the other thing is, what makes your book different from others? Sure. Okay. So the first part, what is at the heart of addiction? And I'd say for, for, for almost everybody, what's at the heart of addiction is pain. Um, and uh, addiction is a very, very complicated illness and has multiple components that, that sort of contribute to, to the resulting of addiction. Uh, but, but at the heart of addiction, for almost everybody, is pain. And, uh, and for most people, Addiction arises out of an attempt to numb that pain with with, a ple- with pleasure of some sort. Um, you know, we all want to feel good and we all want to not feel bad. That's just our human nature. Um, and and addiction arises when we can feel good now in a way that makes us feel worse later. So addiction is a disease of good now, bad later. Um, and, and and really, um, uh, if, if you look at it, it's just that immediate 
numbing of pain with some sort of pleasure-inducing or relief-inducing substance that leads to long-term adverse consequences and, and really a loss of a sense of freedom and choice uh, as one compulsively continues to try and feel good now despite the fact that you're going to feel bad later. Uh, I think what's different about my book is that um, I've taken uh, what I what I hope is sort of a universal approach. There's all sorts of different ways to recover from addiction, but but if you look at whether people go through AA or use God or are atheists or, or go to, to smart recovery meetings or do meditation or refuge recovery or just do treatment or do medications, regardless of, of, of what pathway people take, there are some universal principles uh, that make up the process of recovery, no matter who you are. And, and my book talks about 12 of those core principles and, and takes sort of a comprehensive biological, psychological, social, and spiritual approach towards recovery. I guess the question naturally to ask, though, is did you come to the, the insight of those 12 items? You know, what I did was um, I, I've been doing addictions work for about 30 years now. And um, as I went along for a number of years, I just, when a principle would come up in treatment, uh, for example, let's say um, a spiritual principle of, of people being caught in negative self-limiting beliefs that were based on their trauma, like I'm a loser or uh, nobody can be trusted or, uh, you know, those kinds of negative self-limiting beliefs. Um, I, I would sort of write down that principle like, oh, don't believe everything you think. Um, and what I did was I, I, I just, over a period of a number of years, I came up with something like 56 or 57 core principles uh, of, of recovery. Um, for example, run, run, with the peop- run with the winners uh, or you know, hang out with the people you want to be like. Um, those kinds of core little pointers or principles or general, general truths uh, of recovery. And then I took that list of about 56 principles and I looked at them and categorized them and they seem to all sort of fall into 12 overarching principles or what I call touchstones, 12 touchstones of recovery. And when we're talking about um, this topic, and I'll say this to you, Dr. McGee, we've had um, very lively discussions on topics of associated with addiction on this program. Um, We've had some very intense discussions um, on WFAN, which was the country's first all-sports station, on the topic of compulsive gambling. And there are a lot of people who are listening to us right now who are in recovery in one form or another. The idea of compulsive behavior, how is it best that one gets a handle on that, whether it's gambling, some form of alcohol or substance use? Sure. So compulsion, it's interesting because addiction involves compulsion. There, there is some impairment of free will and, and choice with, with addiction, and, and, and there's some degree of, of loss of control. 
Um, those, those are part of the definition of addiction. So you find yourself, for example, um, making that, that sports bed, um, even though you know that you shouldn't, or, or maybe that you know that you're, you're, you're tapping into your life savings, um, and doing so. And there's a part of your brain that's saying, Oh my gosh, I shouldn't be doing this, but you just can't help yourself. And you, and you find yourself compulsively without, without control making that bet anyway. Um, so how do you, how do you get a handle of that loss of control? I think the answer to that is that what you have to do is you have to empower yourself by asking for help. Um, I think that's the first step is that we empower ourselves by asking for the help of others. So getting treatment, um, getting transparent, um, letting people that you trust who, who you, who you know you well and, and really getting the truth out of what's going on. Addiction thrives in secrecy. So if you can get out of the shadows and, and be transparent and honest without shame about, hey, I've got this, this, this brain illness going on that, that, that's making me lose my free will and I need help with this, I think by, we empower ourselves by asking for help. I think the second thing uh, that in that process of healing is is our brain's drive reward system is in charge. It's like our frontal lobes are no longer in charge of the, of the show. Um, and so it's really the, the deeper parts of the brain, uh, the nucleus accumbens and, and, and other uh, parts of the brain that are involved in our emotional drive reward system that are saying, hey, you, you have to gamble. And they've hijacked uh, basically our, our, our cerebral cortex and have taken over. So... Part of recovery is putting the frontal lobes, especially the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex, the very ship of the bridge, the front part of the brain, putting that part back in control. And the way to do that with the help of others is to think through the consequences of, of, of gambling, for example. Um, think through the negative consequences of gambling. Think about the good things that will happen if you don't gamble. Uh, think about what's triggering that urge to, to gamble because oftentimes there's an underlying pain that's triggering that urge. It could be emptiness or boredom or loneliness or or maybe um, uh, you, you just just sort of a a real intense you know drive for for that gratifying thrill of the win. Uh, whatever that 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 urge is, really identifying the underlying trigger for the craving. And the fourth thing is to then figure out other ways, loving ways to soothe and distract yourself, often with the help of others. So I, I guess in short what I'd say is you you got to put your frontal lobes back in charge through these kinds of exercises of thinking things through with the help of others. And with practice, that can help you to overcome just about any addiction. Mm. We're talking with Dr. Michael McGee on our program on the fan this morning and uh, talking with him about this topic of addiction and recovery. And there's a lot of areas where we potentially can go in discussion as well in uh, our chat with him. And I said what we'll try to do as well is to work in thoughts from comments from some of the folks who are listening to us. Uh, we'll move into those in the uh, second segment of our discussion Uh, Dr. McGee is Chief Medical Officer at the Haven at Pismo. He is the author of The Joy of Recovery, the new 12-step guide to recovery from addiction. And he is joining us this hour of our program on the fan. Sports Edge with uh, Rick Wolf follows our 8 o'clock update on the fan this Sunday morning. 
take a, a, a pause in just about a minute time, but I wanted to ask you one thing on uh, this topic. And that is, is there an easy way for people to tell, because sometimes people get into this idea of denial that there is a problem or that they have an addiction. What do you point to as an easy way for somebody to determine whether they are addicted or not? Sure, sure. Um, so I think, you know, I think that denial comes in part from shame. Um, and, um, and because people really don't want to sort of see the truth that they're, that, that, that maybe they're behaving, behaving in ways that are, that are harmful to themselves and others and that they've, they, they've lost, uh, control. Um, so, um. I think I think that the thing to do is is to just sort of look um, very carefully, at, and I'm going to list for you some some things, some questions to ask to sort of um, to sort of ask, to sort of ask for yourself. Look in a very without shame, you know, w- without any kind of judgment, uh, to drop shame and judgment, and just look at the reality of things as quick as much as you can. And, and the first thing to look at it is to take the addictive behavior, let's say gambling in this case, or drug actually, use. Actually, hang on for a second, because I want you to be able to go through this. We've got to take a pause here. Um, we'll come back, and I want to pick up on those questions, and we'll also try to work in some thoughts from some of the folks listening to us, too. We're talking with Dr. Okay. Michael McGee this hour of our program on The Fan. It's Sunday morning on The Fan. After our 8 o'clock update, Rick Wolf is along with the Sports Edge program. And good morning, everybody. This is Bob Solter. We're in discussion with Dr. Michael McGee on our program. He's the author of an interesting uh, book entitled uh, The Joy of Recovery. And we'll talk more about the book in uh, our discussion. We're talking about this topic of addiction and um, recovery. I said what we'll do is try to get in some thoughts from some of the folks listening to us as well. But I had posed a question to you before we had to pause for our update and messages, uh, Dr. McGee, that I want you to be able to address and the question was about how to tell if you have an addiction, and you were mentioning some questions that you said one should ask. Sure. Um, so as, as, I, as I say these questions, I'm going I'm to speak 11 questions. And, and, I, and I want you to ask yourself, without shame, just with, with no judgment, as you hear these questions, ask yourself if they're true for you or not. And the first question is, um, do you engage in in, in, in in some sort of activity, whether it be you know internet time or eating too much food or or sexual compulsion or drug use or gambling, any kind of compulsive activity, you find that you engage in it longer than you intended or or taking a substance in larger amounts than you intended, where there's that, that sense of, 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 of not having have gone over what you what you intended or what you had you had a sense of control. The second question is, um, do, you, do you want to reduce that activity or substance use and find that you just can't, that there's a loss of control? And the third question is, do you find yourself spending a lot of time uh, getting or engaging in an activity or substance use um, that then you really uh, want to spend? Um, uh, the fourth is, do you have cravings uh, for this substance or activity? Uh, the fifth question is, um, does your substance or activity um, 
make it more difficult to manage responsibilities at work or at home or at school? Um, it, does it impair your functioning in some way? The sixth question is, um, do you continue to engage in using this substance or addictive activity even when it's causing problems in your relationships, um, either with family or friends or, or maybe with the law, getting in trouble with the law, or, or relationships at work? Is it impairing your relationships in some way? The seventh question is, have you given up important you know, social activities or, or recreational activities or work-related activities uh, in order to devote time and energy to using a substance or uh, some addictive activity, so giving up of activities. The eighth question is, um, do you find yourself uh, engaging in this addictive activity or, this, or using this addictive substance over and over again, even when it puts you in danger in some way, when it puts you in risk of harm? Um, the ninth question is, do you continue to use even or addict, uh, even though um, the the addiction is causing you physical or mental problems, uh, mood swings, irritability, fear, anxiety, uh, lack of energy, um, any kind of physical problems uh, or psychiatric problems. Do you continue to, to addict even though the pro- it's causing those problems? And then the 10th question you ask yourself is, have you developed a tolerance? Uh, do you need more than you used to need to get the same to get the same result? And the last question is, have you uh, if you stop this addictive activity, do you find that you go through some sort of withdrawal process or, or addictive substance? Um, a, a good example, for example, somebody who's addicted to heroin, as one example, um, they might go through periods of feeling sweaty and crampy and anxious and nauseous. Um, go through some withdrawal symptoms. But people can have severe withdrawal symptoms even from gambling or from from not using, you know, social media on the Internet. So so that last question is, are there withdrawal symptoms? Mm-hmm. So those 11 questions, if you have, if you meet two of those, if you answered yes to two or more of those questions, then it's likely you have an addiction. Dr. Michael McGee talking with us on our program on The Fan. What I said we'll do is try to work in thoughts from some of the folks listening to us as well. Um, I think we can do this now. 877-337-6666 is our phone number here at The uh, Fan. Uh, let's see if we can go to uh, John in uh, Monmouth Junction, New Jersey. John, good morning. Welcome to The Fan. Good Good morning. Good morning, doctor, and good morning to you, Bob. Great, great topic. Um, I always flip in this channel around. Every time I call up, you have such a great crew over there that, that uh, responds to your callers and treats them with respect. Kudos to, your, you. to your crew. Uh, here's my question. It's a science question. Um, has there been any genetic link uh, to, uh, to the addiction? And the second, the, the second one uh, would, would have to be, uh, it's just for me, since my father, my uncles, and my sister were alcoholics. So in a sense, wouldn't that be one of the questions that you would want to ask um, uh, the people that, are, that you're treating? Because if they grow up in an environment like that, it's pretty, it's pretty difficult to say that that's not normal when you're growing up. And so it, would that be a question? I didn't even, I shut the radio off when I, when I call up. And I, and I started hearing you talk, doctor, about 
uh, your brain. So that's the second, the second uh, ca- ca- uh, science question is brain chemistry of the people being treated. Do you, do you, you have, have you had the ability to map their brains before and then after the treatment to see if different parts of the brain are more active, like, like in taste and odor, because that, that's a, a lot of times that's, that's the kind of response idea I'm in that field. And that's the, uh, the brain chemistry is always going on. Uh, I'm, I'm waiting for your response. Put the radio back on, John. Okay. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you, John. Thank you for your call this morning. Dr. McGee? Sure. So addictions do have a genetic component, and they, and they do tend to run in families. Um, uh, if you have relatives that suffer from addiction, then you are more likely yourself to be vulnerable to developing an addiction and the genetic risk of, from, of, of developing addiction varies from substance to substance or behavior to behavior. Uh, and, and the best research we have shows that there's a variation from about uh, 40% risk for hallucinogens up to about a 70% risk for substances like cocaine and methamphetamine um, and, and opioids and, and nicotine. So the genetic risk is about contribution to addiction is about 40 to 70%. Now, that being said, there are other factors. Uh, environment is a huge factor in developing addiction. There's a really famous study of, of uh, Vietnam veterans uh, who had a prevalence of heroin addiction when they were in Vietnam uh, that was just through the roof. I don't know the exact numbers, but just really, really high prevalence of, 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 of addiction to heroin. And when those people came back home, to a less toxic environment, a, a more positive recovery environment, being home with family and surrounded by love and not being shot at every day. Uh, about nine out of 10 people who had an addiction to heroin dropped their addiction uh, when they came home. In other words, environment was a huge factor. So genetics play a big role in, in, in a vulnerability to addiction, but there's many, many other factors like environment, stress, pain, trauma, a big one is social disconnection, uh, a sense of not being connected to and belonging to something greater than ourselves, a community greater than ourselves that gives us a sense of purpose and structure and meaning. Those are all variable factors that, that contribute to addiction. And it is true that you can actually see addiction at work in the brain. Uh, the caller's really very good question. The second question was, can you see changes in the brain? Mm-hmm. And, for example, if you do MRI scans um, on people and show them pictures of cocaine, if they suffer from cocaine use disorder, you will literally see the drive-reward parts of the brain light up uh, like a Christmas tree on the brain. Um, and, and, and you also, when you see them trying to, uh, for example, try and inhibit themselves or talk themselves out of using uh, the parts of the brain that normally are involved in inhibitory mechanisms um, of, of being the brakes on our, our impulses and drive and say, no, wait a minute, don't want to do that. That's not a good idea. Uh, those parts of the brains don't light up as much. They're impaired uh, in people who suffer from addiction. So there really are brain changes that do go on uh, when we develop um, addiction. It really is a neurobiological illness, uh, but, but, but it's also... Uh, psychological and a social illness. I think addiction is one of the most complicated of disorders because it has so many different biological, psychological, social, and spiritual factors that all weave together to create addiction. 
All right. Back to the phones we go to Will in the Bronx. Will, thanks for holding on so long. Welcome to the fan. Oh, how you doing there, uh, Bob? I'm doing well. And yourself? Oh, pretty good. I want to talk about addiction. First of all, when the doctor was talking, that sounds a lot like 20 questions from Gambles Anonymous. (laughs) If I had gone there once or twice and in a different style, that was exactly what the 20 questions in GA stand for, and they're pretty much uh, relevant. Wouldn't you say, doctor? Yes, absolutely. I think addiction is addiction is addiction. Right. And it, it takes different forms uh, depending on the substance or the behavior. Uh, but, but, yeah, addictions all have a lot of common features. You're right. And so Gambler's Anonymous uh, features are, are very much the same. Absolutely. I wanted to tell you one short story about addiction that when I was 30 years old, I was addicted heavily to gambling before that, 20 to 30 gambling and narcotics, and then I got really sick, and I had 51 abdominal surgeries. Oof. And that, uh, and I go to renal, you know, uh, dialysis, Mm -hmm. and now uh, I don't do nothing. Uh, You know, like, that stopped me short. I didn't need no rehabs, no nothing. I went to hospices, but I didn't need no GAs or NAs or whatever because I had a more important thing to tend to my life right? than cocaine or a baseball game or whatever it was. That didn't mean nothing to me. Living did. And that's how I quit. Just cold turkey because quit or die was my answer. Mm. And, I'm so and happy I, for you. Yeah, I would like to say one last thing to the people that are thinking of giving up or because I should have gave up 30 years ago according to the book. But I won't give up for a thousand years till God says so. And the people that do think of giving up don't, because there is always a better answer down here than there would be out of here. That's would you say that's true, Doctor? Oh, that is so true, and I I, I feel so happy for you and admiring of you for your your hope and for your your persistence and. And really for the grace that, that allows you, you much, to Doc. be where you're at. Yeah, well, and you know what? A lot of people say that to me, but I don't, I mean, I could pick up my shirt and amaze people. My stomach looks like you've been playing darts <laughs> in a bar for 900 <laughs> years with the team. But I, wow. I, I don't do that. I don't do it. Most people look at me, they're like, you're not sick because of the way I act. I play not sick because I don't want to play sick. So I do everything in my power to even fake myself out. Well, good for you. Thank you, Doctor. Yeah. And have a good day. And, Bob, thank you for the time. Thank you. Thank you for your call this have- morning. 877-337-6666 is our number here at The Fan. After our 8 o'clock update, Rick Wolf is along with the Sports Edge program. Ed Randall is by talking baseball after our 9 o'clock <laughs> update on The Fan. This uh, topic of uh, addiction and recovery, always a popular one on uh, this program and on this station. Dr. Michael McGee is talking with us this hour of our program. As I mentioned, he's chief medical officer at the Haven at Pismo. He is the author of The Joy of Recovery, the new 12-step guide to recovery from addiction. And he has uh, joined us and is sharing an awful lot in discussion. We'll try to get to as many folks on the phones as possible Um 
This is a lot of people have been waiting for uh, some time to jump in on this uh, topic of addiction and uh, recovery from uh, various angles uh, and uh, share some of their thoughts. And we'll try to do that in the home stretch of uh, this hour of our program. Take a pause and come back and talk more with Dr. McGee this Sunday morning. It's Sunday morning on the fan. Good morning, everybody. This is Bob Silt. I tell you, you know, the, the show that goes on the air is one thing, but the show that goes on off the air is something completely. This is, it's wild here on Sunday morning. Absolutely wild. I haven't had this much fun since I don't know when. It's wonderful having you here, Mr. Minko. Minks keeping us up to date on things happening in the sporting world after his 8 o'clock update. Rick Wolf is along with the Sports Edge program. We're talking with Dr. Michael McGee on our program. Dr. McGee, Chief Medical Officer at the Haven at Pismo, the author of The Joy of Recovery, the new 12-step guide to recovery from addiction. Lots of folks on the phone that want to jump in on this topic of addiction and recovery. Let's go first to Ron in New Jersey, who's been holding forever. Ron, thanks for holding on so long. Welcome to the fan. Uh, Thank you. Appreciate uh, being on. Um, I'll try to be brief, but here are some bullet points. Uh, I came into sobriety in 1991. I was in and out for 10 years, but never gave up on therapy, on meetings, on inpatient, outpatient, the whole gamut. Um, and two, uh, after 10 years, I got and stayed sober. There was a cumulative effect to being in and out. I didn't see it coming that I would get and stay sober for 15 years. I didn't realize that during those 15 years, I was in relapse for about three years by just not doing all the right things, not not meetings and, and such, but just living life the way life needs to be lived. And I picked up for literally one day because I still had the momentum of recovery in me. It kind of came as a shock. Um, I now have a few years again, but something really strange happened. The radio's been on all night, and I woke up out of sleep having a detailed drug dream. The purpose of me telling you and the audience this is to show the power of addiction. It is really incredible. I don't plan on using today or tomorrow. I don't see it as a problem. I see it as a continuing symptom of addiction that can rear its head. And lastly, what I've learned from so many therapists and in recovery is that the consequences will not keep me sober. I didn't substitute a full life for the addictive life I had. So today my challenge is not worrying about picking up, but my challenge is picking up life and and continuing to live a full life. So that's a brief summary of my history. Wow. That was quite a presentation. I loved it when you said bullet points at the beginning of what you started saying, too. Dr. McGee? Oh, boy, what a wonderful story of grace and recovery. And, and um, I'm so happy for you and my hat off to you. I think, you know, the title of my book, The Joy of Recovery, is, is really so true to what you're saying, which is that it, when you take away the addiction as, as a sort of a pain management solution, you have to put something in its place. And the thing to put in the place of addiction is joy. And, and the way to really live a, a full and stable life of recovery is to do what you're saying. It's, it's to live a life of love and integrity and joy and to really fulfill that something more uh, that we all need, that, some, that drive for some, that yearning for something more uh, that, that makes life fulfilling and that makes life uh, such a wonderful 
uh, incredible experience, it's, it's really fulfilling that something more that really is the ultimate cure for the, for the root of addiction. And you've done that and you're doing that. Uh, but, but the addiction is always there. It's always there. It, it's a latent neurobiological vulnerability. And, and if we don't keep turning the crank on the, the light generator of our recovery, the, the joy generator, if you will, if we keep, if we don't continue to, to, to turn that crank and create joy in our lives, then we have that vulnerability of drifting back uh, into the grips of addiction. And uh, your comments are just so wise. I appreciate so much your recovery. Ron, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate all that you're doing. Have a great day. Take you care. Too. Thank you, and thank you for your patience on the phone. Joe in uh, New York, good morning. Welcome to the fan. Good morning, guys. Uh, this is a, a big problem for me is... Uh, I've seen it firsthand with somebody like my sister. She got her uh, kids taken away from her, and I had to take care of them. And it was just, you know, so heartbreaking to watch because it all started with her doctor giving her some pain medication, and then, you know, she got addicted to that. Then she jumped into heroin and everything like that, got arrested, you know, was thrown in jail got her kids taken away, like I said earlier. But my biggest gripe with the whole situation is they put you into a program or tell you to go into a program for your addiction, a Suboxone program. And I feel like the problem with this is is the Suboxone program is a thousand times more expensive for an addict to go into than it is to go buy a bag of dope in the street. You know, my sister joined the Suboxone program and it doesn't, no doctors cover it through insurance. Well, I can't say no, but barely any doctors she called covered it through her insurance. All, every doctor she called, they said it was a cash program. The cheapest one she was able to find was $750 for the first visit and then $300 uh, each visit after that. Some of them were up in the range of $1,500 for the first visit, cash only. So my biggest gripe is I feel like the doctors really aren't there to help anybody with this epidemic. It's a cash business for them, and that's all they care about is getting that cash because they, they see it's a booming business for them. And to top it all off, now then she goes to her pain management doctor, and they kick her out of her pain management program. And because she had to go for an emergency surgery for um, something with her gastrointestinal system. And the doctors in her pain management program kicked her out of her program because the hospital gave her narcotics there and she supposedly signed a contract. You know, I could see them kicking you out of a program if you're doctor shopping and you're going to... Uh, another pain management doctor and getting pills and stuff like that. But for an emergency, I mean, come on. It's it's pretty sad. I'll uh, hang up and listen to uh, your feedback. Thank you. Okay. Thank you for your call and patience on the phone this morning. Dr. McGee, would you li- like to respond? Sure. Um, first of all, I, I want to say I'm just so sorry for your, for your sister's difficulties. Um, it's heartbreaking. And, and we really do have a problem with, with access to effective treatment for, for addiction, including opiate use disorder. Um, Suboxone or buprenorphine is a great treatment, uh, but there are 
there are a lot of doctors who unfortunately are, are in my mind, frankly, almost predatory in terms of charging really outrageous fees like that uh, for the service. Um, and, 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 um, and so, uh, and there isn't enough treatment available. Um, only about one out of 10 people uh, with, who suffer from addiction are getting treatment now for a variety of different reasons. So, so it really is true that um, there's a great need to make treatment more available and more affordable uh, for people. Uh, the second comment about uh, being kicked out of the pain management program, another thing that just distresses me to no end is, is, is the brokenness of our healthcare system in terms of one hand not talking to the other. And, uh, and the lack of, the lack of education and, and information and, and just care to, if you're seeing somebody and you're treating them with surgery and you're giving them medications to ask about their history and to see if they're in a pain management program and call the pain management program and collaborate on the treatment. Um, this kind of thing unfortunately happens all the time, every day. It's really regrettable. Uh, we have so far to go in terms of improving uh, our healthcare system, not only in terms of communication, but also in terms of making treatment accessible and affordable to people. Next up on the phone, we go to Fairfield, Connecticut, to Rich, who's been holding for some time. Thanks for holding on so long. Welcome to the fan, Rich. Yeah, thanks. Um, you hear all these things about, uh, you know, they fought this disease to the end. Well, for me, the key to uh, the disease is surrendering to it and then asking for help and uh, actually listening and uh, listening to other people. And, um, you know, whether it's N.A., GA or AA, get on their websites and find a meeting. Um, we don't tell you how to stay clean. We show you. And it's, um, we don't, uh, we give suggestions on how to live and, uh, how to, uh, deal with this disease. And, um, I'll just give a shout out right now. If you're looking for an NA meeting in Fairfield, Connecticut this morning, there's one at Sacred Heart at 1030. And, uh, you know, today could be that the, the day that changes your life. And will there be a big difference on the first day you don't use and the last day you have used? The answer is no. But you will have that chance to have a good life. And, um, you know, I'll just sum it up by uh, how I'm living today. And, uh, you know, I just try to do the next right thing. And that doesn't necessarily mean how it affects my life. It's how it affects other people. And, um, you know, I, I, it, it, because I have a good set of tools to live by, and uh, it's important that I do right by you. So uh, thanks, Bob, and keep an eye on Minko, okay? I certainly will. That's a full-time job in and of itself. Thank you very much for your call this morning, Rich. Uh, next up to uh, George in Massapequa. George, good morning. Welcome to the fan. Yeah, how you doing? Doing well, thank uh, you. I just wanted to let you know about um, what I went through in my short life so far. I'm 52 years old. I've been suffering with drug addiction since I'm a teenager, and drugs did nothing but ruin me. They took me down big time, and it started when I was uh, 30, 30 years old. I wound up becoming a diabetic, and after that, at 37, I had a heart attack and a double bypass. Now, back then, Vicodin was a thing for uh, surgery for pain and stuff like that. 
I was in so much pain. They were giving me four vitamins a day. I had to go and self-medicate myself to get more pain medication because I couldn't deal with the pain. But I only lasted for one month on pain medication. Now, as I progressed in life, um, at 48 years old, I got into an accident. Uh, actually, I was 45. I got into an accident, and I had to get uh, neck surgery. I had to get um, four discs replaced, and, you know, it, it was hurting me pretty bad. So I took care of that, and I wound up getting oxycodone back then. Now, the oxycodone worked, and um, it took care of my pain and everything. And thank God I never got addicted to that either. So now... A year and a half ago, I got into a bigger accident. Um, I fell down my basement. I slipped, and I cracked my bone marrow, and I, I, uh, they had to reconstruct my whole neck. Six and a half hour surgery, and I've been on oxycodone since. They were giving me 30 milligrams plus 10 extended relief in the hospital. When I got out, I slowly progressed taking myself to a lower, uh, amount of oxy. But the thing is, what I'm upset about is with all this opiate situation going around and and uh, the government jumping in and saying, well, uh, we're not going to give you this, we're not going to give you You know, let me tell you something. I'm in chronic pain. Mm-hmm. I just, I just, last month I was in a coma. I got, I wound up getting a bacterial sepsis from an infection from my pacemaker. George, 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 unfortunately, we're going to have to, um, I hate doing this, but unfortunately, the clock is our enemy here. Um, all the things that you've been through, I mean, it's absolutely amazing. Dr. McGee, we've got to run. Thank you very much for joining us. Your book is entitled The Joy of Recovery, The New 12-Step Guide to Recovery from Addiction. Certainly the best with your work. Oh, thank you very much. It was great to be on your show. God, God bless you all, and good luck to you. After our 8 o'clock update, Rick Wolf is doing the Sports Edge program. And after our 9 o'clock update, (laughs) things change quite a bit. Ed Randall will be by. He'll be talking baseball here on The Fan. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.